Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. The only thing better than the Spiro Avenue Show is the Spiro Avenue Show two times in two nights, and that is what we are delivering to you. I am Justin Spiro. I'm happy to have you back. We had a rollicking episode with my good friend Scott Anderson. Not that one, not the one a lot of you know, but my buddy Scott Anderson yesterday talking about a whole smorgasbord of topics. We had the Lions. We had a little dose of the Pistons. We had a lot of Tigers. It was all over the map, and it was a lot of fun. And as much as I love Scott, he's a sharp guy, one of my smartest sports fan friends. He doesn't quite have the credentials, the working credentials, of the man that sits across from me right now. He is new on the scene, a Chippewa like I was one time before the transfer to Michigan State. Evan Petzold of the Detroit Free Press, Detroit Tigers beat writer, making his Spiro Avenue debut. Many of your friends have been in here before. I know you're a huge fan of the show, but now you're here and welcome to you. Yeah, you've had quite a number of personalities on here, so happy to join and, and hop on board and get a chance to chat tonight you know, about the Tigers, and we'll see where things take us. Our first interaction, Evan, and you can call me a liar if I'm making this up, but I, I kind of cold message you before inviting you on the show or anything, just saying, hey, man, I think you're doing a great job with the Freep. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, essentially, and, and that's good to hear, too. I mean, especially being so young and doing this, just getting out of college. I mean, I'm 22. I think people sometimes you know, don't understand that there are young people in this industry, too. It's not just people that have been around for a really long time covering teams, right? Like there's young people in this too that are just coming out. So it, it's difficult at times. So to hear, you know, some positive feedback and stuff, it, uh, it, it was special. It was nice to hear. Oh, it should be a lot coming from me because <laughs> I, don't, I don't sling a lot of that like willy-nilly, but I really like what you're doing. You're doing a great job. I recommend everyone read your stuff. Look, I'm not going to put you in a position to bash or comment in any way on your predecessor. I'll just say that there are some people in your industry, not just in Detroit, but around the country that don't really take their job seriously. And I know you're not reporting on, you know, Benghazi or a crisis at the border, but at the same time, I do appreciate the way you're approaching your job. I think you, you've run it sort of old school by the book and giving facts and right. perspective and where it's applicable. No, that that's kind of my takeaway just in general is, you know, be old school because I'm not really good at the memes. I'm not really good at the jokes. Like, this is not what I'm good at. Like, I like to tell you exactly what matters and why it matters and just leave it at that right like that's how I approach it at least doesn't mean I can't be funny because I can be funny sometimes like once I get comfortable but I'm just not into the whole sending out memes and funny tweets and stuff like that that's just not me so I appreciate that somebody appreciates the old school you know kind of uh I'm a throwback kind of guy there. man I'm hey, a throw okay. I, don't, I don't normally I, tr I try not to invite guys that are like 10 times better looking than me on the show because I have a very fragile ego but uh you know I, I appreciate that you're here making me look fat and ugly so let's get to the nitty-gritty there's a lot to cover, and I don't want to keep you here all night. I know you're busy. It's it's. Well, there is a lot to talk. About. There is a lot to talk about, though. There's so, a lot to talk yeah. about, and I'm on your time. You're not on mine. So you know, if I ramble, uh, kick me in the nuts, and we'll get out. But I want to start here. There's a million ways we could start. I want to start here. AJ Hinch. I have gone on record repeatedly before the hire, during the negotiations, after the fact, and as recently as yesterday on this show, sitting in this chair, that I think AJ Hinch is the number one best manager on the planet working right now today. You were in Lakeland. I was there for a day. I went to a game. It was fun, but I'm not in it like you are. You were around this guy. You're around the team. Everyone that I've talked to, I won't name names, not players, but reporters, media, people that know the Illich family say 
that it's been a huge 180 in how it's being run. He's running things a different way. What do you make of A.J. Hinch? What is he trying to change? What is he doing differently there? Well, you talk about him being one of the best baseball managers on the planet, right? I think he was that, too, you know, pre-science-dealing scandal in Houston, right? And, and if it hadn't been for that, he still probably would be one of the best managers, if not the best manager in, in all of baseball. So I think it's a great get for the Tigers, one. But, you know, two, just looking at what happened in spring training, you're looking at a guy that approached this job with an entirely different mindset. And I wrote a story in the, in the free press. Go check it out. It's interesting. It's got kind of a detail of what he learned along his managerial path, right? So it, and it, it's not all about the psychology degree from Stanford. That's huge because that plays a role in it. But at the same time, like there is more to it. It's the failure in Arizona when he was the Diamondbacks, really young manager. And he was telling me a story, you know, this one, we were talking on the phone and he told me the story, you know, I, I walked into the clubhouse and it was, it was some 40 days into his, in his managerial tenure, right? He just started, he's a guy who comes from the front office. So remember that too. He came from the front office in Arizona and he walks into his clubhouse and he just rips on everybody gives them 20 things that they were doing wrong, right? And they're facing Zach Grinky that night. And he says, that was the biggest mistake that I ever made there was, and he said, we won the game, so it was fine. Like, it was great. It, it, it seemed like it was a good thing at the time, but like long-term camaraderie in the clubhouse, stuff like that didn't really work out, especially with him coming from the, the front office and being so young. Guys didn't like that he came in there so aggressive and told them everything he was doing wrong. And he said, you know, later on, I learned I never set the foundation. I never set the foundation of doing those things right. I gave them 20 things they were doing wrong, but I thought back and said, well, did I ever set that expectation of doing that right? And he was like, I never did that. He's like, I didn't know that when I was a young manager. I had no idea. That's how I was supposed to do it. I thought I had to just kind of wear this, you know, wear the uniform and act the part and look the part and stuff like that. But I needed to be A.J. Hinch and A.J. Hinch sets expectations. And so obviously that happens in Arizona and he goes to the, the front office in San Diego and he's there for a little bit. And then he gets a job with Houston and approaches it in an entirely new way. He does it A.J. Hinch's way. And that's setting expectations from day one. That's one-on-one -on -one meetings with guys. And he, he's, he's very blunt, too. And he tells you exactly where you're at in the organization, exactly what he wants to see from you, and exactly where you can go, right? He did that with Jake Rogers this, you know, this spring. Walked in there and said, hey, listen, like, you've been so focused on your hitting that your catching is no good. Like, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not this guy that's this premier catching prospect anymore. you got to focus on your catching again. And the hitting does have to come. And so, you know, by three weeks into camp, you see Jake Rogers focus on the catching. And, you know, we ask and he's like, yeah, you know, we've seen, we've seen improvements. Like he looks better behind the plate and now we got to get the hitting part right. But like, it's those little things that he just notices and he tells you exactly where you're at. And I think a lot of the players have really enjoyed that for some of them. It's a little bit tougher maybe to hear than others, but that's an entirely new approach to sit down in there and have one-on-one -on -one meetings and tell them exactly where you're at. Like there, there's, there's no, there should be no reason why anybody on the team, anybody on the 40 man roster, anyone within the organization like doesn't know where they're at. Like they all know their place because he's told them their place. And so I think yep. that's the biggest thing. And that's, and that's big. I mean, here's why I like him. I mean, there's a number of reasons, but the most popular, like if you took a poll manager in Detroit Tigers history, post Sparky Anderson, you know, post world series is Jim Leland by far. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of competition. It's not even close, but it's Jim Leland. I had a lot of issues with Jim Leland, but to his credit, guy ran the clubhouse tight. Every the players respected him. They bought in. You didn't have a lot of issues in the paper floating up. They had a couple things you know, smaller here and there. Victor Martinez tripping the fans, but for the most part, kept it in line. My issue was the flip side. I thought in game did a lot of stupid stuff. Don Kelly batting second for some reason. Nobody knows why. Nobody understands it. No love for Don Kelly over did, here. Well, not in the, <laughs> not in the two hole. I mean, he has a place as a utility guy in the nine hole. And the best is like when I was going absolutely apoplectic in the. Uh, 
playoff series against the Yankees, and then Don Kelly goes yard on the first pitch I got in the tool. So that was, and I was actually at that game at Yankee Stadium with my buddy. But uh, yeah, so but either way, it's a dumb move. Dalman Young batting second or third like for months on end, even though he couldn't get on base. Uh, yeah, it's just I hated that stuff. AJ Hinch to me seems to meld that no nonsense sets expectations as you said. Not going to suffer any fools. But he marries that, all the things I liked about Jim Leland, with the antithesis of Jim Leland as a manager. He's analytical. He's the most shift-heavy manager in baseball, which who knows that may go in or out. We don't know. But he's got more of the thinking man's cap on, in terms of the strategy. Do you think that's a fair assessment? I see the best of, of both worlds with him, and that's why I put him at number one. Yeah, I mean, you look at what he is as a person, and he's you know personable in general. You, you hear him talk to us, and when we're talking to him, I mean, every answer is so detailed. It feels like, and this is, I, I say this is the worst thing and the best thing because every answer feels like it could be an entirely new story. Like it could be an entirely, it can be an entire story on its own. You ask him about, you know, ask him about Daz Cameron because Daz Cameron, you know, one of the prospects came over in the Justin Verlander trade. And it's like, you know, playing out in right field. And we're just asking him about Daz Cameron, and how's he looking, you know, coming back from the elbow injury that he had when he was playing in Puerto Rico, played winter ball over there, only got two games, then got injured. So like, how is that progression going? And he just starts talking about how we need to get Daz Cameron back to playing center field because we need to develop a second position because if we have Riley Green come up and we have another outfielder, like, we need to find spots for these guys. So it's, like, things like that that you're just, like, he goes into these, like, tangents a little bit, and it's just, like, wow, like, okay, like, center field, that actually makes sense. Like, that's a story. Like, that's interesting. Okay, let's dig deeper into that. So, like, everything almost feels like it's another story with him, which is great, but it's also, you know, there's only so much you can write about. But, but no, like, yeah, he's, he has this understanding of his players. He understands what makes him tick. That's part of the psychology degree. That's part of the failure in Arizona. And then he also has the analytical mindset where he looks at the numbers. He understands them. But like, I, I want to make sure people understand that like, he doesn't just look at numbers either. Like, you look at, look at opening day. Matthew Boyd was pitching, and it was the fifth inning, and he had two walks in that inning, and there were two outs. So there was end up being runners on first and second, right, with Jose Ramirez coming up, a guy who people are projecting him to possibly be the American League MVP. And he's in the box and he's batting right handed, right handed. And, you know, Boyd's a lefty and, you know, Jose is a switch hitter. And you have Daniel Norris in the bullpen. You could have brought Daniel Norris in. They have Juan Nieves who's filling in for Chris Fetter. He goes out and checks on, on Boyd and Boyd thinks he can get it done. And AJ says, okay, like we're going to ride with you then. Like you deserve this. You pitch well enough to earn this. So it's not just numbers. The numbers would tell you to bring in Daniel Norris or a yep. lefty reliever out of the bullpen to face you know, a guy like Jose Ramirez with runners on first and second and two outs in a critical point in the game. And he, he circled that on the, you know, he has a card that he keeps with, you know, different things that happened during the game. And he circled that. He said that was probably the at-bat of the game. And Boyd got it yeah. done. So it's things like that where he, he, he has a feel for those things. And I think that's mm -hmm. what really puts him over the top. It's more than just being able to feel out the personalities and understand the analytics. It's when you can really blend that and, and find positive results. And they're not always going to be perfect. He's not always going to be perfect. He's going to fail. There's going to be times where he makes poor decisions. but there's going to be times where he makes really good decisions, too. And we saw that on opening day. Well, you make so many decisions in the course of one game, let alone times 162, but you just captured exactly why I like him. Because there's these warring factions where everybody on this side is analytics, and they have 72 different acronyms for how fast this guy goes from first to third. It's forp and flippity doppity doop and, and everything, they're beholden to that. Then you have the, the converse, where it's, all the analytics are stupid. Just give me batting average ERA and shut the fuck up with everything else. And they're both wrong. And I think he does marry sort of the best of both worlds. And, you know, just in the same way we said with running the clubhouse and incorporating analytics, he, he uses them. They're a tool, but he's not completely beholden. He's not going to 
close his eyes. Otherwise, at that point, just get a machine to run the thing. Right. Like, just no. you know, plug in the probability. Yeah. I think the other thing, too, that jumps out is just what he notices as well. I mean, I mentioned that a little bit, but, um, you know, watching film over the offseason, like he immediately understood that the outfielders had poor pre-pitch setup in terms of, you know, taking that first step, getting ready to go and being in a position to, you know, make a play on a ball if it comes out your way. Like they weren't, they just weren't doing it. Like, and nobody noticed it. And so I, I don't, and I don't know if then I don't want to knock on, on Ron Gardenhire or his staff or anything like that, but it just tells you how deep he thinks about things. He, he doesn't just see like the surface level. He digs deeper than that. Um, and you also see that too, with just the aggressive, like you're going to see, you're going to see the Tigers be a lot more aggressive on the bases. Like we saw that in opening, opening day, like with Victor Reyes um, on that ball that was hit by Jacoby when he hit it out to left field and hit it out for a double. But Victor Reyes was aggressive on the bases and was able to, to go around and force an error, a bad throw, miss the cutoff guy, and he, you know, he scores, right? Like, those are things that, with that aggressive base running, if you don't have that, you probably don't score that run there. And the, the, it's just the little things like that, that that I think really stand out. It's the developing secondary positions. Like, you see Isak Paredes moving over and playing second base, you know, this spring. We saw that a lot. He's going to come up this year and, and get a chance. And Torkelson, Spencer Torkelson, you know, the, the guy that's supposed to be the guy, right? You know, he's not a third baseman. He's a first baseman and a third baseman. And after he was drafted... Alavila and everybody else in the front office pounded home the idea that he is a third baseman because what does that do? It adds value. Okay, it adds value to a player, and you want to make people, you want to make everybody believe that he's a third baseman. And they told him not even to work on first base this offseason. And AJ comes in and says, no, no, no. We got to play him at first base too because what happens if, what, what happens if Jamer Candelario is an extension guy? What if he's really good? What if he's actually good? Now, I, I, I am not all in on Jamer Candelario at this point based on what we saw last year. I think he was really cold and then really hot and then cooled down at the end of the year. But what if he is really good across 162 games? What if you want to keep him at third base? Are you never going to bring Torkelson up? No, you need to develop him at first base to yep. give him an avenue. It's all about pathways. And like he sees those things, I think. And he, he looks ahead and he understands what they're trying to do. But I just think all around, it's, it, it was a good hire. And I think it's going to, I think it's going to bring, good, bring good things. But at the same time, too, you have to remember that this team isn't a team that's like on paper ready to compete for anything. So it's not going to be easy either. It's not like he's going to walk in the door and make them World Series champs. No, and nobody expects that. And all the more reason, by the way, to be aggressive and try to manufacture runs. Because if they're going to be standing around on first base waiting for the two-run homer, you'll get the occasional one. We saw one yesterday, but not going to be a frequent occurrence. I want to finish with Hinch here. He talked about, I think he actually used the exact phrase, the elephant in the room at his press conference with the cheating scandal in Houston. You mentioned it briefly earlier. Look, we all know we don't have to rehash whether they should have hired him, how bothered you are. I don't care how bothered somebody is. It's water under the bridge. But I'm just curious, having been in Lakeland for the past month plus, is it even sort of a presence? I mean, it certainly didn't seem to be a storm over Lakeland, this whole cheating scandal. I didn't hear anything about it. Is there any sort of talk about it? Is there any lingering effects? Or is that just kind of totally water under the bridge at this point? We'll see it at points this season when they're on the road and they go play in New York. I mean, I mean, in, in, I mean in the we'll house, see that, but, but in no, house. no, in house, in house, no, because I, I mean, listen, you have to remember, he's a smart guy too. Like he has a psychology degree from Stanford. Like he understands how to answer questions. He understands how to read people and he understands how to get his point across and do it in a very methodical way. Like he, he just gets those things. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I asked him about this too, because we had this one-on-one -on -one conversation for the story that I was working on with just his path through. Um, you know, his managerial career. And I, and I, that was part of the story at the end was just, you know, what was it like addressing your team about this? And it was just, it was raw. It was emotional. I told him I was thankful that um, I had the opportunity to, you know, be their manager and be their leader and that I wasn't going to let them down. And like, that was just it. And then, you know, I, I said, Hey, you know, is that, 
you know, anybody upset by that or was there any bad? And he said, no, not really. Like they kind of just accepted it and, and took it as it is. And from everybody that we've heard from too, on the player side of things, it's just, he's our manager and he's got, he's got a ring. So we're going to ride with him. Like that, that's literally the thought because when you, when you bring those credentials to the table and you've been to two world series and you've made the, you made the playoffs four out of your five years in Houston and you have George Lombard on your bench as your bench coach, you know, you have him, he just got a ring in, uh, in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. Chip Hale has a ring on the coaching staff as well. Like you don't really need much more like, okay, you can, and, and also too, like the situation in Houston, he's been really upfront about that and, and really straight up. Um, and I think you have to be if you're in his shoes because you can't just, you know, kind of deflect that. He's been That's really what his old players did. Carlos Correa well, was right. victim blaming everybody. Well, right. But I, I think for him, it's, it's, you were the guy who was punished. I mean, you were the one who, yeah. who, who took the heat for it. Yeah. Unfairly, I, I would argue, but okay. But I think the thing that's important to know too is, and for anybody that says that he doesn't deserve a job and, I, and I'll, I'll back him on that. He did his time. It's yeah. over. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's my thought on it is like, he paid he, a huge price. That'll never leave him. He had to sit around for a year, which was probably miserable for a guy like that. That is so such a workaholic likes to be in it. Yeah, he paid his penance. But but anything, if if you're gonna be upset with anybody about that, be upset with the commissioner's office for not making it a five year suspension or not making it a lifetime. Like don't don't be upset at AJ Hinch for going and getting a job when it was there for him because he did his time. And I don't totally be upset agree. with the Tigers either because the Tigers went out and got the best guy, and he had done his time. He was a free man in baseball. If you want to yes. if you want to you want to throw that out there. Yeah, you're, you're in 2021, so everybody's got to clutch the pearls and and, and get all. A, you know, been out of shape. Yeah. You know, the guy sat out, he paid a big price. Enough's enough. You know, this is America. Move on. Second, third, fourth, fifth chances in this land. Thank God for that. I think it's a good thing, not a bad thing. So natural transition. I have argued repeatedly that I don't think AJ Hinch is here right now. If he's not granted certain assurances of some fashion in some way that the Tigers are going to spend when the time is right. And that's been the phrase, when the time is right, when the time is right, when the time is right. I want to start here. You know our good friend Tony Paul. You have a relationship with him as well. He's one of my favorite journalists in the state of Michigan. Great, great Tigers mind. Great guy. And a great, great guy, too. Wonderful I mean, just, guy. Yeah. Love Tony. So I want to play a little clip of when he was here. He said that the Detroit Tigers this past offseason – they blew it, and it was a wasted offseason. So we'll play that, and I want you to react to it. I've been uh, absolutely disappointed with, with uh, what shape the rebuild has taken this offseason in that I don't think it's taken any shape at all. I think that they've done nothing, and, and I think this was the perfect time to strike. So I think they have the pieces, but uh, they haven't been as proactive as I would like to see them in, in, in filling in the holes and the gaps around because I think that this team – with some with some good free agent signings, some good moves, I think this team could be in contention in 2022. Now I don't believe that. I think this was a wasted off season. So Tony calls it a wasted off season. They blew it, and you know we, I could have played a 17 minute clip from the show. He got into all the reasons why. I'm curious for your stance. Did they blow it? They, should should they have been more aggressive in the market? What is your take on that? Do you agree with Tony Paul? I agree and I disagree. I, I like to, and, and I told you this before the show. I like to see both sides of things. I don't like to be, you know, I don't I don't like to be narrow minded on things. I like to be able to see both sides. And I guess just to counter, you know, the the point that he made, and I think they could have done more, but the counter to that is, you know, you talk about like filling holes, right? And being able to to get guys at established spots and and lock them in, right? And and find you know established pieces, right? And and start to build and start to do that pro where are those where are those spots that you need guys at? 
Like, like uh, they don't is like that rhetorical. No, 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 that, I, no. Yeah, no, no. That's the point, though. Is yeah. like that's the point, though. Is is you don't know, and that that's what it all goes back to. Is sure you would have liked to see them go get like a corner outfielder, maybe. Um, you know, that's not named Nomar Mazzara. I don't even think they needed to get Nomar Mazzara. I, I don't. I don't agree. I did not think that was a signing that they needed to. To, to get done. I understand they got him really cheap and he's a guy that might be able to get back to hitting 20 home runs for you. And maybe he's a good, you know, trade deadline candidate if somebody needs a power bat. But, um, but I didn't even know if they needed him. But, but the point is though, like if you want to lock a guy into four, four years, five years, how do you know where you, where you want them at? Like, you don't, cause you don't know if Jamer Candelario is going to be a third baseman like now or never. Like, is he going to be a guy that's going to be around here in two years, three years. Is he, is he a guy that's an extension guy? Like you don't know Willie Castro. He's only played like 65 game in the ma- games in the majors. Like I don't think he's ever going to be an everyday shortstop. I think they're going to need to get a shortstop this off season and we can get into that, but I think he's got to move over to second, but being in the lineup and with his bat, is he actually someone that can be in that lineup or is he not going to turn out? You know, what about Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal? You talk about those two guys. Now, if they turn out and they're really good, well, then you're, you're looking pretty good and you can add, you can add a solid piece to that rotation and, and be good. But what if they're no good? Like, what if they're not good? Then, 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 then you start this rebuild all over again. And so, no, no, no but, I, but I understand that. But I think that's why, I think that's why they pumped the brakes on spending this offseason is because they didn't know exactly what they had. Isak Paredes, like, you're going to get to see him a lot this year. He's going to come up and he's going to play a lot. And so for him, like, is he a guy that can be an everyday second baseman? Because if he is, then you can check that off the list and you know but you don't know that over 60 games. You couldn't figure that out. You're, you're right. I, look, everything you said is accurate. It's, it's a fact. They have all these question marks. But why in year four, year five of a rebuild, is the entire roster a question mark? And that's the question. Now, it may be a separate question of why they didn't spend. But, you know, you're saying accurately, you're right that they don't even know what they have. They don't know if this guy's a third base, he's going to play left field. They don't know who's who. That's okay in year one or two. We're, this rebuild didn't just start. And the fact that they have this many question marks, this many holes to fill, is an indictment in its own right, I would argue. Here's what I'll say. And I talked about it with Tony, and I've been very consistent across the board. I was, which is rare, on the more uh, positive, less cynical side of Tony Paul for maybe the first time in recorded history. I've known him a long time. I said on this show, I was okay doing the Mazzara, Grossman type shit for one more year. I would have liked to have been at the, at the ball a year earlier, but one more year. And that's going to transition us to the upcoming offseason in six months or whenever it is. This is contingent on one thing. They were promising us almost five years ago, when the time is right, I'm going to spend. Chris Zilich, the owner, says, I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend. I've been very patient, and it's hard for me because I'm an impulse buyer. Ask my wife. I see anything on Amazon, it's on the porch like the next day. Can't help myself. I've waited half a decade. I, I bleed orange and blue, but I've accepted this. But this brings us to 2022. I know Lynn Henning retired before you got your start, but you know who Lynn Henning is, yeah. right? Yeah. Detroit News, for a long time, still uh, parachutes in and uh, writes a column here and there. One of the better technical writers we've seen in Detroit in the last 50 years, I would argue, certainly in my lifetime. Lynn Henning has a reputation for being very plugged in. He's had, with the Tigers specifically, he's had numerous things over the years. He's the one that broke the story about uh, Brad Ausmus coming back. He's got a good track record. I want to throw up a quote that he, he had published 
back in February, and this is, I'll read it for the audio listeners here. You can expect to see legitimate baseball life, interest, enthusiasm, reasons to buy a Comerica Park ticket, etc., return in 2022. It's a matter of young talent graduating to the big leagues and the inevitability of a box office free agent or two signed during the coming offseason, which will happen. Look at that quote. Leave it up, Ben, please. We all know the young talent graduating the big leagues. Yeah, we've, we've heard that for half a decade. We know. You know, they finished dead last or close to it for half a decade. We get it. That was built in. Lynn calls this, and Lynn knows what he's talking about. He talks to management. He has connections. The inevitability, that's one, of a box office free agent, that's two, or two, that's a third point, because now we're talking about multiple, signed during the offseason, which will happen. Not might happen, which could happen, which they think might happen, will happen. That's someone that knows what he's talking about. So he's telling me back in February, and I happen to believe that he believes this, that it's not likely, not possible, but inevitable that this team signs box office free agents, plural potentially, and that it's going to happen. If it doesn't, I'm going to theoretically, uh, completely theoretically, don't call the cops and they burn the house down. Because I, enough. I've waited half a decade. I'm curious. You agree with Lynn Henning's assessment. Box office doesn't mean middle tier. That means we're talking Carlos Correa. Trevor Story. I wouldn't call Javier Baez box office, but you know some might. You're in that basket. He's in, yeah, he's Corey like, Seager is my number one actually. Okay, yeah, so I agree, hundred um, percent. I don't that think they need to that that they need to and that they will. You think they will? Oh yeah. You don't like I I've said this from the beginning. You don't bring AJ Hinchin to be your manager to lose. You don't. I, here's the here, but yeah. but but here's the flip side of that too though is like look how much money that those guys are gonna are gonna be asking for. I don't for. care. Cry me a river. Right, but I'm pay but, it. No, no, but I'm just I, I understand that that's that's what everybody wants. But but the flip side of that is they they just gave Robbie Grossman two years, ten million, and you're about to and but you're Stupid about to contract, but, by the way. but you're about to make a jump from that to to to, to big boy big boy money. Good. And so I'm but I've earned it. But that that's where I think people need to you know maybe be a little bit worried that that jump isn't going to actually happen because it, it seems like it's, it's, it needs to happen, right? Like, well, then no one needs to go to the game ever again. That's, I'm sorry, but, but it's, it, we've waited long enough. I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I think it needs to happen. I think it, will, think it happen, will happen, but I think, but I think my only reservations about that is just the fact that that's a big jump to make. And that's a lot to ask when you have seen no proof of that happening. You, you haven't seen any proof of a timeline. There hasn't been a date set. It's just been like, oh, whenever it's right. And, and I guess, and obviously part of that, as Lynn mentioned in the quote, was graduating the talent to the big leagues. I think that's, and it, it, there's, it's, it's, it's very, it's huge. There's, there, it's huge, and it all surrounds AJ Hinch. Like, there's a reason why Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal are both in the majors to start the year, and it's because of AJ Hinch. He knows that those two pitchers have the stuff to be really good. But what are they going to do if they go to the alternate training site in Toledo? What are they going to do if they pitch for the Mud Hens? They're going to dominate AAA, and then they're not going to get anything from it, right? So that's why they're here. That's why they're here. They, A.J. Hinch was giving Jake Rogers every opportunity to make the big league team. All he had to do was put up some comp- a couple more competitive at-bats, and he would have made the team. Like, like that, that's how it would have unfolded because yeah. he understands that you need to get those guys up, you need to figure out exactly what you have, and then you need to make some moves. I agree with and the same thing. And the same thing is Isak Paredes, too. You know, Isak Paredes was, in my opinion, uh, and kind of from what I heard bouncing around, almost a shoe-in to make the team out of spring training if he would have just hit a little bit more. And he didn't hit, and he, AJ calls it a competition, and he has to honor that. He honors that competition. 
But that's why I'm saying we're going to see Isak Paredes soon. We will. I, I, I am almost confident. I'm, I'm pretty darn confident as long as, you know, Jake Rogers doesn't absolutely crap the bed in Toledo that he's going to come up to the majors at some point this year because they have to figure out what they have in him. Well, but but so yeah, yeah so you, so so that that process like AJ Hinch is pushing that process along. We are going to see Matt Manning up at some point this year. Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, I give them a good shot to make the team out of camp next year as long as they're producing in the minors this year. As long as they're doing what I guess we would all expect they would do, there's no reason why they won't be because this process needs to move along and it starts with those guys because you want to you need to know what you have before you invest. And so I think if they can get some of that figured out now, I think it makes that jump from the Robbie Grossman two-year $10 million to all the money that you're going to throw at a Correa or a Story or a Seeger. It makes it worth it, and it makes it, you know, it's something that you can get behind. AJ can walk into to Al's office and say, Al, and, and Chris Illich can be there too, and say, hey, listen, here's exactly what I know about all these guys. Here's exactly where we can use additions, and this is how we're going to do it. And also remember, too, when they, they talk about this a lot. AJ... AJ's plan. They all say AJ's plan. Oh, AJ came in with a plan when he when we interviewed him. It wasn't like, oh, AJ, you're hired. Here's our plan. It was AJ came in with his plan. And he, I think he I think, interviewed I think, them as much. It felt like I, I really, truly, yeah. truly, I do because that guy could have just sat back and waited for the next job to open up. Like, he, sure, he was in a rush to get back because he wanted to be back, but at the same time, like there there was nothing stopping him from saying, no, I'll wait because he could have got a job. So he could he could have got a job at a team that could win now. If the White Sox wouldn't have hired La Russa, he would have been in, in Chicago taking him to the World Series this year. Like that, that's the kind of guy that he, he is. And that's the kind of guy that people view him as but, around the industry. So yeah. he has a plan that he came in with. And that's why I think there's, there's no way that they don't spend. They're, they're going to have to. And, I, and they're going to have to get a big shortstop, like a big time shortstop. The, the market is there for those guys. And I think that's where you start. I don't really know where you go with number two next year if you were to sign a second, a second big you know, box office free agent. But I think if you know if there's anything, it's it's obviously got to be a shortstop. You have to get a shortstop and lock that down. I mean, I'll give you the answer. One of those shortstops, I want Seager, but I'd be okay with you know one of the other two. Baez, eh, he's he's good, but I, I, Correa or Story, they would they yeah. would, they would enjoy. My 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 power rankings would be Seager, Story, Correa, and I I like all three quite a bit. But it'll be one of those three and Verlander. That's what I need them to come out with for me to be like, okay, you kept your word. Anything short of that, even if they just sign like one of them, and that's the only thing they do, I, it, better than nothing. But I'm not. I'm not going to say, oh, it, it, bravo! It was worth the half a decade of total incompetence and irrelevance. But you gave this beautiful answer, and it was AJ Hinch. All the reasons AJ Hinch is the reason they're going to spend. I, it's not about AJ Hinch. It, it comes down, and you mentioned it. Is Chris Illich? going to say yes when A.J. Hinch presents it to him. We have no evidence, as you said, that he will. I was put off a little bit. Brad Galley, who I only saw this, by the way, because he unblocked me sometime in the last 24 hours. Because I, I went to reach out to Brad Galley a week ago with a question, and I was blocked. Now I'm suddenly, for some reason, unblocked. So thank you, Brad. But Brad Galley put this on his Twitter. He was asking Alvio yesterday about the timeline. Did he approach Chris Illich about, hey, let's open up the pocketbook? God bless you, Brad Galley, for asking, because someone needs to put that pressure on. It needs to be there. So, Ben, can you play that really quick? And I'm curious for your take on this, because I'm not encouraged by the answer. You add pieces um, like you did last year that, that really did work. I think the scope edition last year really proved to be a great pickup. I'm curious. I, I know you have so much patience as a general manager in baseball, but was there a point in this offseason where you knocked on Chris Illich's door and said, can we spend some more money this year? Can we go sign some bigger-name guys and maybe accelerate this a little bit more? 
Well, the only thing about that is, you know, you, you have to be careful. I, I have very little patience, but you have to have <laughs> patience in that, um, just like I mentioned before, we, we've got to establish, and, and I had this conversation with A.J. Hinch uh, when we were, just before we hired him, actually in the hiring process, um, and then afterwards we, we agreed that one of the things that we have to really establish here is our pitching. And once that's done, then we can move forward. Okay, so look, Al is notorious. Tony Paul loves him because he gives really blunt answers. He tells you the truth. He's not like a Bill Belichick. So if, they, if I thought or if he thought they were on the verge of, of big things, I think it would have been somehow even in a low-key way weaved into that answer. We're, that, that audio, which was from yesterday, from April 1st, 2021, could have been, minus the COVID mask, but absent of that, just the audio, could have been a clip from January 2017. It's the same exact line. We, it's not the time yet. You know, we got to be patient. The, the patient, 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 patient. I was patient in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. I'm even being patient now. But I, I just, like, does that worry you at all, that answer? Because I, it's the same exact response. I don't know how you're no farther along between 2017 and now. It's the same script, identical. Same script. Sure. I'll give you that. I know. I think that's fair because I do think that it's been the same mantra of, you know, just wait and see, like it'll happen. Like, don't worry. But some of that also is because he's a general manager and, you know, he can't just come out and say, oh, we're giving you the same narrative as we have the last three years. Wish us luck. You know what I mean? Like he can't come out and say that. But I think there is some fairness to what he's saying. I, I do understand the point of, you know, it's been, it's been three years. It's been four years. It's, it's been so long. Like, why are we getting the same message? But at the same time, too, like as much as it's been the same the same narrative, it's also new players. I mean, you have Casey Mides and Tarek Skubal and Matt Manning and Alex Fiedo and Joey Wentz, and you have Torkelson and Green and Paredes and Daz Cameron, and there are players on this team that are not that were not here in '17. And so, I think when he talks about getting the pitching right, I think that comes down to really Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal, and then Matt Manning when he comes up to the halfway point, and then also too, like what do you get from Spencer Turnbull? Like, is he going to be a guy that could be a three or a four, or is he more of a five at best? You know, where does he fit in when, when it's all said and done, when they, when they hope to be at the top? I mean, where, where is he, where does he fall into line? So I think there's a lot of things like that come back to my original point was, was they got to figure out what they're going to like, what, what is this year going to provide for Mize and Scoop? Like those are two, like those, those two players are so big in this rebuild. I don't think people understand it sometimes just how big those two players are because of the emphasis on pitching. You look at teams that make runs, teams that are good, like, pitching like that that that'll get you there um obviously the bats they're going to need bats they're going to need to be able to to do damage and, and stuff like that but i mean if you can keep if you can keep teams from scoring i mean if you can limit teams to, to to one or two runs in a playoff game like you're putting yourself in a pretty good spot to to win that series if you're doing that on a nightly basis so i think that comes back to i think that quote to kind of dissect it at least comes down to we need to figure out what we have in Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize and when Matt Manning gets here, we need to figure out what we need, what we have in him, and we need to figure it out right now. And if we, and, and if because if they don't have anything in those guys, they're toast, man. Like this whole thing is toast. But let's say let's say they come to the, the determination that they are toast, that they they botched the rebuild, they blew it, they they missed on draft picks, they cashed in all those veterans, and they got next to nothing in return. Let's go down that path because. That's not a crazy hypothetical. No. It's very, we're going to get to Casey Mize and his troubles in a second. 
But it's very possible that they blew it. The half decade was wasted. Tony Paul said they wasted this year. Maybe they wasted the last well, look four at, or five look, years. Look at the Verlander trade. Disaster. Look at the J.D. Martinez trade. Disaster. Justin Upton. Disaster. You know, the, I mean, if you want to do a uh, throw a parade for the Justin Wilson Alvila trade, I mean, I'm not going to. No, but, but it's almost mind blowing though that that package to get Candelario and Paredes is better that, than what you got with Verlander. That's the silver package. Verlander, Martinez, and Upton combined. You got more for Justin Wilson and Alex Avila. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Yankees trade two months of Araldis Chapman for Gleyber Torres and then just sign Chapman again two months later. That was glorious. So it is a real possibility though. Like you've seen right. after, I mean, evaluating how the trades went. You can see why things might not work out. Now, I do think Casey Mize and, and Tarek Skubar are both going to be good major league. Oh, we'll I, get there in a second. Don't jump the gun, though. Let me finish, Evan. <laughs> so we're going to live in this treacherous world that okay. we just proposed. I'm not saying I'm predicting it. I'm just saying it's, it's not like a 4% chance. It's like a 28% chance at least that they just totally blew it. So couldn't you make the argument if you're Chris Illich sitting uh, on the Temple Mount that, look, the time isn't right. We're not on the verge of winning. I'm, I'm not spending. And then it's another five years where they're not signing anybody of consequence. Couldn't that happen reasonably? I, I, I don't think that's a crazy hypothetical. And if it does, we're going to go 10 years of this and counting? I mean, am I nuts? It, that could happen, right? I know you think they're going to spend, but just I'm not nuts to think that I th- they may I, have just blown this Well, entirely. I think they're going to spend if their prospects are good. No, but, but I, if they're we're not, not living in that world. We're living in these guys fall short. Mines right. gets no, 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 exactly. no, no, no. hurts his arm, God forbid, no, or whatever. Exactly, exactly. I think, I think they're going to spend as long as the prospects are not. But if they don't, you're going to hear the same message. And then you're going to hear the questions of, well, wasn't Mize supposed to get you out of this? Wasn't, and then, then it comes back to, okay, what's the player development like? What's going on? You know, who are you drafting? Who are these trades for? Like right now you can kind of live with it because you can see why there's some optimism. But at some point, like if that goes away and you lose all of that, then, then you got nothing to stand on. Now you, you can, right now you can stand on the whole. Oh, we ha- we want to see how these prospects turn out, and then we'll spend. Like you, you can you you can make a case for that. But if they don't turn out, you you have nothing to stand on. You're a dead man at that point. Yeah, well, Avila is. I mean, you can't fire the owner. But yeah, I, but yeah, I think that'd be the end of Avila. You said they would go back to the same message. It, they would be delivering that message to an empty chair because. The people like me that have just taken a lot of punches as a diehard Tigers fan waiting for this thing, not even taking them at their word. It's like, really, what choice do you have? Oh, I don't take you at your word. I just don't pay attention to baseball. I took their word because I didn't have any choice but to take their word. But look, as much as I love this team and love baseball, Good luck getting my eyeballs if they if they don't spend. And if they blew this rebuild, it's not, oh, well, the circumstances don't allow for you to spend. It's not like your circumstances flew out of the sky. I thought Alvio should have been fired four years ago. You kept him. If he blew it, I'm not going to say, oh, well, he blew it. It's okay not to spend. Mike Gillich bought his way out of bigger problems than this. Figure it out. I have no sympathy. We've waited enough's enough. You talked about Casey Mize. I want to transition to him. Look. I have some concerns about Casey Mize. I'm curious where you stand on this, and I'm going to run down some of this. Small sample size, but he was taken 1-1 in 2018. It, it, so you look at half of 2018, if you want to count that as a season, it's like half of one. Some guys have gone right to the league they're in their draft year. 2019, 2020, 2021. So we are four years removed from a college pitcher not a high school player. It'd be totally different if you were a high school pitcher. A college pitcher going 1-1, and we still have no sign that he's good. He had an ERA of 7 last year, an ERA of 7.23 this spring. Like, 
at what point am I starting to get concerned? I'm already there. I'm not burying them. I'm not saying they fucked it up. Uh, but is there a legitimate concern that this guy is going to be a bust? Well, I think going back to what you just said, you know, a guy that you took 1-1 and it, it took him until 2020 to get to the majors, like that's something against him. I think that's more of just, I, I, think, I, I think what you're going to see too in this new, I would say, I guess I consider it like a new mindset of the Tigers is just to push the prospects a little bit more. Like I almost wonder, you know, if Casey Mize, you know, and, and maybe Scoobo as well, but, but more Mize, if, if Mize would have pitched in 19, at least a little bit. You know, how much further along is he at this point? Is, and maybe he's not, maybe he yeah. is. But, like, but, but I guess going back to, to the point, though, of being worried and concerned about him, I think um, I always go back, because I, I have this internal debate all the time. This, this, is, this is like the debate that goes on in my head, and it's back and forth, and it's this tug and pull for me of like, you have to remember that this is a guy who was so good for so long in college and in the minors because he didn't need to like be perfect to be good. You know what I mean? His stuff was so good that you could get away with so many things down there that, that you can't get away with in the major leagues. And so it goes back for me to strike throwing. Like when he throws strikes and he's consistent in the strike zone and pounds the zone, he's really good. Like we saw that against the Blue Jays when he was pitching um, and he had nine strikeouts and he looked really good this spring. Um, we also saw earlier in spring training when he would try to just, you know, throw around the strike zone and, and be really pretty with it and stuff like that. And that was just, guys are too smart at the major league level. And I think he realized that. And I think that's the biggest thing too, was like, imagine that you're so good at something at the college level, in the minor leagues, where anything that you do, you can basically get away with it. And it works. And everything works for you. And then you get to the majors, and it's like, okay, I, act, I have to actually think about throwing strikes. I have to actually try to throw strikes. Because when I would throw it around the zone, guys would swing and miss like crazy. And you know, I had no problems, right? It, it was easy for him at that level. Because he was so much, his stuff, the stuff is so much more advanced. Now, the command of the stuff is a different story. Because that comes down to throwing strikes and being in the zone. And, and then also knowing when to throw out of the zone. It, it's it's so detailed and it's so complex. And so I think there's an angle of it where you take it up. Okay. Maybe we should be a little bit worried because he's not able to match up with these big leaguers, you know, at the plate, right? He's, he's, he's too, you know, he has a, a mental blockade that's there. That's not allowing him to throw these strikes and he's not as confident in himself. And then you see him have the right mindset and go out and do it. And he strikes out nine against the heavy blue Jays line. I mean, Vlad Guerrero was in that, you know, Vlad Guerrero jr. Like, they, like these were guys that were in that lineup on that day. And so, you see a little bit of both and you wonder, okay, so where is he actually at? Which, which pitcher is he going to be? And I think it comes down to, you know, just throwing strikes and having the mindset. I think the stuff is obviously there. Like the stuff is undeniable. You look at the splitter and what he has there and the slider that he throws and his fastball and he's elevating his fastball more to get him up in the zone at times. And so like the weapons that he brings out with his arsenal are, are there, like they're good and they're, they're legit. But where he has his downfall is throwing strikes and, and, and focusing on throwing strikes because he's never had to do that in his life. He's never had to focus on throwing strikes. It's always just been there. He's always been a guy who could, he's always a guy who could command the strike zone and, and do well because he got a lot of swing and misses because his stuff was just really good. And that's where he sits. Right. And, and here's why I'm, I'm concerned. Uh, it's almost the a numbers. downfall of being so good, of being so good. Everything's valid that you just said. It's just interesting to me that the thing that is killing him right now is the inability to throw strikes because I mean you said he was a strike thrower in college that that's like an understatement <laughs> this guy he had one of the best strikeout to walk ratios it's unbelievable like in the history of, of major college baseball I mean he just he was it was like twelve strikeouts to every walk or something he just the guy didn't walk anybody the guy, the guy had like seven walks in like hundred and ten innings or something he didn't walk anybody ever like if he walked one guy in a game it was a headline news so it's like of all things. You get those guys that are just, their stuff is nasty, but they just never, like A.J. Burnett had a good career, nasty. He had A-plus stuff. He had C-plus control, so he had a B career. You know, it kind of 
equals out in that way. I just I'm concerned that his bread and butter, obviously the splitter everyone talks about, but was in large part the control. If you read, oh Keith, no, that's even more than the splitter. I think more was so, more so than the splitter. Was read the Keith control. Law. Keith yeah. Law's he was with ESPN now with the Athletic, uh, but ESPN at the time it was control, control, control. This guy doesn't walk anybody. I just you so basically short answer concerns are valid. You don't think I'm a complete no uh, no not at all no not at all. But at the end of the day, you're landing on it's fine, and he ends up as a two, a good number two. I mean, I, oh no, I'm I not. No, I don't. I don't believe that it's just fine. I think this year we're going to learn a lot about who. We, I think. I think you can make a lot of judgment calls after the end of 162 games. If he's still like a, you'll know a 570 ERA this year. I'm not saying get the dirt and throw it on him, but like at least start looking for a plot at the cemetery. Right. I, I'm just saying, like. You have to at least consider this well, guy's I think, career well, might well, be I, nothing. I, I think if that's how this year turns out, you have to understand that he, he he might not be your ace of the future. Yeah, and I think you have to live with that. But right now, I think it's too soon to say no. There's no way that this guy can be an ace. I think he has the stuff to be an ace. Like he does. The stuff is yeah. there, and the oh, stuff is good. I agree. But it, the concerns are valid, and I think that's why everyone's excited for this year because it's it's we need to figure out what is this guy like? Who who is this guy? When he's dialed in, I mean, you saw like I like I keep going back to that game against the Blue Jays. He went out there and that he was basically pitching for a spot in the rotation, and he had like this this almost like an anger in a way to him where he just wanted to prove everybody wrong and shove it down their throats. And he pitched with you know something else that day, and you could see it. And so it's tapping into more of that. Like you got to be able to get into more of that side of Casey Mize, and um, even in his last start that he had just before the team broke camp and came up north, like you know, got a couple strikeouts and was, you know, kind of bouncing off the mound a little bit when he was coming off to, to go back to the dugout. And it's just things like that, that if you can get him into his element, I think he can be really good, but it's the consistency. It's the command. I mean, yeah, that, that's what it comes down to. And yeah. it's, it's we'll, we'll figure out. That's what this year is for. I think it's too, too soon to make a judgment call on that guy. Um, but no, your concerns are valid because, you know, when, it hasn't when, been there. Be, I mean, just right. Hasn't been there. Right. And he was 1-1. Again, this whole thing's different. If he's some second-round pick or late first-round pick, like, you go 1-1 as a college pitcher. I'm sorry, you're in year four, like, since your draft year. Oh, it's COVID. Oh, 18's a half year. That's fine. The bottom line is check your calendar. The guy was drafted. He's in the fourth year since he was drafted. I don't care what was going on in the universe. Right, but, I mean, so even, and 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 this this is also something that is a tug and pull for me, too, is Spencer Torkelson, you know, this spring. He looked terrible this spring. I mean, he looked terrible. But, no, 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 but. One year, not even one year. But listen, I know, right, but he hasn't faced anybody, right? This is his first time doing this, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he's a 1-1, like, is, is, and and I think that's, too, like, a reality check maybe for some people to understand, like, where these guys are supposed to be. I mean, I, I don't know, like. Are there one ones that could have gone out there and, and done better than him? You know, past one ones that would have been able to, you know, have a two fifty batting average this spring, probably. So, like, did, does that give you concerns, or, or should it not give you concerns? I don't think so for him, but like, I get your point though for for Casey, and I think that when you're looking at it from, hey, he's he's been doing this long enough, he's been there, but he's still fresh to major league pitching, and almost in the same way, major league, you know, batters, right? Almost in the same way that Spencer Torkelson was very fresh to major league pitchers. You know, this spring, Casey Mize is still very fresh to big league batters facing them and, and the, the challenges that come with that. So, like I said, I think you're going to find out a lot this year. Yeah, I, I'm watching with curiosity and concern. I mean, if I'm landing on something, I think he ends up being like a, a good number two and like we're happy with him. I, that's that's my prediction, but I do have legitimate concerns. And if they didn't have A.J. Hinch and Chris Fetter, who I am a big believer in, I, I, I hated that he went to 
to Michigan and made their team so good and their pitching staff so good as a diehard, die in the wool Spartan. But I, I have the most utmost respect for Fetter. I think they have the right support system in place, and I think that goes a long way. I mean, we've seen that. I mean, I'm a lot older than you, but like growing up, the Braves always had the best, you know staff and the best pitching coach and that that made all the difference in the world so he has a support system in place so i'm landing on i think it'll work out yeah but i wasn't concerned a year ago what i saw the spring was concerning so we'll finish on the tigers here we're talking about prospects coming up and we talked about torkelson talked about mize i'm not going to do the lynn henning deep dive lynn henning is the best at covering this stuff for the tigers who they're looking at basically they pick third overall the Major League Baseball draft, which will no longer be held in uh, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. That's a that's a three hour show that we won't be doing today. But at that draft, it may be located in my basement for all we know on July 11th. They have the third overall pick, and the sort of top of the board has been the same for almost a year. You have two pitchers from Vanderbilt, Jack Leiter, who happens to be my favorite. It's been my favorite for a year. Kumar Rocker, and then the you know the shortstop is a little more fluid. There's a couple of prep shortstops, but the, the biggest one we see in here is Jordan Lawler, high school prep shortstop. The Tigers, in my opinion, are in a really good spot at pick three, better than most years in pick three, because you have a two-pitcher draft where I think both are going to be great. I think they'll both do a great job. I think Leiter will be better. Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter will both be very good in the majors, I think. So you're either going to get one of these two future aces, or you're going to get the best hitter in the draft, whomever you think that is. I think that's a great position to be in. Yeah, you'd rather be one or two, but not all third overall picks are created equal. Just ask the Detroit Lions. If I had to have the third pick instead of the first or the second in any year, I think this is one of the years. I'm going to get one of the two studs or whatever hitter I want. There's no door number three. So I'm just curious, where do you think they go on July 11th? I know they're very cagey. I don't think they even know there's a lot of scouting to be done, but I would argue that they should go the best prospect available, whoever they think that is. Some people say, hey, the pitching is, is thicker in that farm system. Go the best hitter no matter what. Kind of where do you land on that? I, I think you got to go pitcher if, 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 if he's there. I mean, if, if you have one of those two from Vanderbilt there, which I assume you're going to have one. I mean, Jordan Lawler, the, the shortstop, the prep shortstop. I mean, I assume he goes two, probably. That's kind of my guess. I, and again, where they go depends on where others go. Um, you know, because who knows? I mean, may, maybe both the pitchers go one and two, and then you're left with Lawler at three. You know, as the and and if he's there, you got to get him because he's a guy that could be like a future, like franchise cornerstone type of a shortstop. But he also won't be at the major league level as soon. So if you're trying to you know boost this thing and get it going and get it rolling, it would be nice to have a guy who's maybe a little bit more MLB ready. But at the same time, if you want sustainability, I get the point of. Sure, you sign a big shortstop or something like that this offseason. You know you're going to do that, and then you let this guy develop and, and get him ready. And obviously, too, guys can always move around. Like AJ talked about that too when he was in, uh, you know, when he was in Houston, like with Bregman in there and Correa, and you know, Correa. I think what was it? Correa went down with an injury, and Bregman slid over or something like that. So it's just things like that. You can always move guys around. But I, I personally, I, I see it kind of going, you know, lighter one, and then you know, Lawler, the shortstop, going two, and then the Tigers are left with whatever's left. And I think you got to go Kumar Rocker. You never can have too much pitching. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a true believer in that. I'm a true believer in pitching wins championships. Um, so I think you got to go that way. You can always buy your bats if you need to. You can make trades. They're gonna have. They're gonna. They're, they're like their farm system is gonna be so loaded when they're coming out of this. Just and and look at like they get in the farm system as much as we might want to bash like the uncertainties. But there's always uncertainties, right? Like you have no idea what they're gonna get. But you could trade. You know anybody that's like eight through 30 on your prospect list and, and probably be okay and get bats if you need to. Like if you're at that point where you're ready to win 
and you have guys that you bring in in free agency and you need to keep adding and, and get guys to get you over that hump, you can always trade for, for those guys. Like, I feel like it's almost more difficult at times to trade for pitchers, um, you know, guys that could be really good arms in the future because it is, it is, it wins championships. And so I think if, if, if Rocker's there, I think you've got to take him. Like, you just have to take him. I, and I don't even think it's a question at that point. Like, he's the best player on the board. You need more pitching. Who knows? He could be a one, right? Like, Myers could be a one. Scuba could be a one. Manning could be a one. Like, if you have all those guys that could be ones, that could be your ace, like, you're going to land on something. Yeah, let's be the Oakland A's when they had Tim Hudson, Barry Zito, and Mark Mulder. I mean, that's fine. Or the Braves, you know, Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz. That, what kind of a problem was that? I totally agree. This whole argument of, like, oh, the pitching staff's loaded. If they're loaded, why is the ERA in the bottom three every single year? They, they're potentially loaded. Right, they correct. have better, more and better lottery tickets. But look at, but look at, but look at Joey Wentz, Tommy John, you know, yeah. Joey Wentz. The, the, I you know, like got, him too. I, I think he's going to be solid. And I think he also, he's a guy that could make his major league debut this year. He's coming back from Tommy John and um, going to get into the mix, you know, once, uh, you know, the minor league start and stuff like that, start building back. And he could be a, a late call-up guy. But yeah, so, and, but, but then also Alex Fido, right? And just in this past December, Tommy John surgery, like, like as much as you're potentially loaded, you're also potentially screwed just because of, of, of Tommy John and things that could go wrong and you never know. And like I said, like with bats, I think you can always buy bats. Like you can always go out and spend money yep. to get good bats. I think it's more difficult to come across good pitching like that at a young age that you can have for a really long time in your organization. So yeah, I, 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 you got to go pitcher, I think. And it's got to be one of those two. And you know, even if two of these guys, my Scooble pop and they hit maybe even three, Guess what? That's still two or three spots in the rotation. Right. So I, I agree. Right. I, I, I and I first of all, I think Jack Leiter might want to give up a hit sometime this year. But if, if we're hoping he slides to three, I mean, he's he's like just throwing no hitters every game now. So Dude, I cannot imagine though covering Vanderbilt because it's like no hitter watch every night. Oh, it I know. feel like Can you like, imagine. But oh. it, I it's, it's it's I'm almost like kind of bummed to see he's doing so well because he's been my darling for about a year and it, like before he was actually projected in a lot of these mocks that going third, fourth, even fifth, and now it's like... Well, because okay, Kumar Rocker was always, like, the guy. He was I the 1-1. One, yeah, one. Yeah. But, I mean, what, what a consolation prize, though, if you get Kumar Rocker at three. But either way, I think they're well-positioned, but I totally agree. I think you, you hit it on the head. Like, if one of those two pitchers are there, you take them. If not, you take the best prep shortstop there is. And they're ready. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're closer to being ready for the major leagues than a prep shortstop. Or let's just say that you went a different route for some odd reason, and... You know, you go and, and get somebody else, right? That might be, you know, out of high school. Like they're they're not going to be ready for for a little bit longer, and, Long, a lot longer. And, it, and and if you really think though that this rebuild is at a point where you're going to be able to spend next off season, if that's really what they think and that's really what they believe, and I think it is, if you can add, you know, Kumar Rocker to that in, you know, what by 2023, 24-ish in there. Like you're setting yourself up pretty good to to be solid if yep. if if the rest of your prospects turn out. So it's all a waiting game, and it really is. And that's what sucks about it because you don't really know what's going to happen. It's all it's all a waiting well, game. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a waiting game <laughs> is the Detroit Tigers slogan. I think I think that's on the that's the, the go-to. Yeah, that's yeah. their. It's all. It's been a waiting game for a long time. It's it's a long wait. Look, I mean, if they draft Kamara Rocker third overall. I mean, the Casey Mize equivalent would be the guys getting lit up in spring training in 2024. I really hope that doesn't happen, which is, I mean, can you imagine they take Kumar Rocker in a couple of months and three years later, he's like just getting lit up in spring training. That would be a disaster, which is why we talked about Casey Mize for 10 minutes. But either way, we'll conclude there. I, I, I think you and I are in lockstep in general. I think you have a little more 
assurances in your brain and in your spirit of this team's direction than I do in their commitment to spending. I hope that you and, and Tony Paul and Wynn Henning can point in my face and laugh at me. I'm not saying I definitely don't think it'll happen, but I'm 90-10 that they're not going to do shit next year either, and I'm going to be sitting here whining to you if you'll come back. Uh, about oh, I'll be, I'll, oh, I'll be back. I'll be, no, I'll be I'll back. I'll hold you to that because that's if, on tape. If, if, if you send the invite, I'll be back. But no, like, like I said, it, it push comes to shove. It, it doesn't really, it's, not, it's, it's less about spending and more about what do we have and who's going to be good. And if they feel like they're going to be good and they're going to be in a chance, they have a chance to make the playoffs, you know, next season or get close or compete for it. If they like the pieces that they have, I think they're more than willing to spend. I just want my friend Chris Castellani to be happy. That's all I want. That's the main reason. Don't I want we all? To, don't we all want yeah, Chris to be happy? Yeah, we can't, can't, I mean, Chris, is, I'm so glad that guy's back. I, I miss Chris Castellani. I enjoy hey, the videos. It, I watch him. He's at a point now where he can do a video and just be like, "Yeah, that sucked, man. I don't know what to tell you. You know, go blue." And then like that's the whole video. I think it's like 700 likes. Like he's just. It, but that's that's an earned status. Oh yeah, oh my gosh. It's not a criticism. Oh my gosh, yes. He's no, so no, I know beloved. What you mean. He's yeah, so oh, beloved. Yeah. He's and that's hard for a guy. Like if you're like a really like attractive girl, you know, it's, I'm not gonna name names, but there's like certain <laughs> people in the media that it's like they post a picture of them in a bathrobe, not sensual at all, and it's like seven thousand likes. Chris Casaletti like kind of grinded his way to that with these videos, and it's just good to have him back. I really missed him. And so. those those people though, but but guys like Chris and others that that follow the team, they they want to see something happen. Oh yeah. I well, mean I think they deserve and, it. They and they they deserve it because they've waited. And I get yep. that. But at the same time, I also see the flip side, which is, you know, you want to do it when the time is right. And I hate to say yeah, yeah, yeah. that. See, I had to throw that out at you. To, we're almost to the speed on it. This is going to launch me on another one hour tirade. We, we went here already when the time is right. So you're giving them the out that they want to take, by the way, that if this doesn't go well, we get to wait around another five no, years. No, getting kicked but, in the but, dick. The, but then, but then you have to admit that you failed and you have to, you have to admit to failure at that point. That that's my point is like the time is right, but the time yeah. they, I, I'm okay with them spending when the time is right, but the time needs to be this off season. So I'm supposed to be okay with them saying, okay, my bad. Avila's gone. Uh, see you in five years. We'll, we'll bid on, um, I don't know, like my son at that point, my, my now two. But what else son. are you going to do though? If, if none of these prospects turn out, what do you do? You just spend, spend. the house and hope and hope that. Yeah. Spend, buy a team. It, that's not unprecedented. Yeah. I mean, it's ri- I mean, yeah, I get your point. I'm yeah. I, well, I see what you're saying. No, I see. I know. I mean, no, on. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And they would have enough. They would have enough prospects to do it if they're, you know, their top guys kind of. Flamed out, but I, don't, I, I think that's getting too far ahead, though. Like I said, like I think the big thing is, what do we see this year is ultimately going to determine what happens in the offseason. And if they see good things, I truly yeah. believe they're going to spend. If they don't, listen, man, they're screwed. Like that's how they're they're screwed. Well, we agree on that. You said it's, it's we're looking too far ahead. I agree, but we're not looking that too far ahead. We're looking like maybe just a, a foot farther down the road. Right, than but we it's should the, be. right, but it's the but, development though. It's if 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 these guys are good this year. I, I truly believe they will spend. And if they're not, like I said, they're going to have to admit to failure. Well, they all looked like shit in spring, and you were there. So I, I, you we'll know, see. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't know what to make of that. Because you don't need one of these guys to be good. You need like five or six of them to be good. Correct. And five or six of them looked like shit in the spring. And it's spring. I know I'm not saying it's the NLB all, but like if I had my druthers, I'd rather see you look like you know what the hell you're doing with a bat in spring, Spencer Torkelson. I'd rather have you not have a 730 ERA Casey Mize in your fourth year since going one on one as a college pitcher, a consensus one one, not a slot reason one one. But anyway, neither here nor there. 
I'm depressed about this team. I don't think they're going to do anything this year. I don't think anyone expects that. I don't think they're going to spend next year. I think this is going to be a hamster spinning the wheel. I hope you, Tony Paul, and Lynn Henning are right, and you can laugh when you're back here next time. We'll see. You know what we do. We're going to get to the speed round. I enjoyed the Tiger conversation. We're going to touch on them one more time at the top of the speed round. Let's get to it. Oh, boy. So here we go. The last Tiger thing I'm going to bring up tonight. This is We talked about Casey Mize and Spencer Torkelson and Dirk Skubal and all the ones on Baseball America. You were all up in the grill of a lot of prospects for a month. Who is the best Detroit Tiger sleeper prospect? The guy that's not on the top 10. Did you see anybody in spring down in Lakeland? Did you, did you hear any buzz about a certain guy? This guy that was taken in the 37th round looks good. Is there anybody that's kind of under the radar that no one's talking about that you think has a chance, maybe not to be a star, but to be a functional big leaguer for the Tigers? No, I mean, I think they have a couple guys out of their, their bullpen that could be pretty good. I mean, like Logan Shore, I think could be pretty good. Uh, Jason Foley could be good. He's got a really strong arm, throws really hard. Um, you even want to like look around. I mean, I know Dylan Dingler was a second round pick, but I think a lot of people like worry about, oh, you know, Jake Rogers, that, that didn't work. And the development there, you know, we haven't seen much there. I, I mean, I, th- I think Dylan Dingler could actually be better than people think he is. Um, I think there's a lot of tools there. He's, you know, he's one of those guys who's in a top 10, like you need him to be good, but I don't think people talk about him enough just because of the Torkelson and the green that everybody likes to, everybody loves talking about those guys. Right. And you forget about Dylan Dingler. And I think he could actually be pretty good. Um, but no, I mean, I think one guy that like nobody knows is Drew Carlton. I think he could be really good. AJ, AJ Hinch used him a lot this spring as a guy that if there were two outs and, you know, a guy, you know, couldn't pitch his way out of the jam, he'd bring in Drew Carlton. And every time Drew Carlton was just get a quick out, three pitches and he's out. He doesn't throw hard. He throws like low nineties. I mean, he was like drafted in, I don't know, like the 30th round or something like that. Like he's basically a nobody, but go back and look at Drew Carlton. And this is for everybody out there too. Like go look up Drew Carlton on baseball reference and you'll see the ERA numbers. You'll see the whip. You'll see the walks. They are beyond low. It's unbelievable. Now he doesn't throw hard. He throws like 91, 92, but he, he's so efficient and his command is unbelievable. And we saw this because I was interested too. I was like, okay, Like, where is the command going to be in spring training when he has to face, like, big league guys coming in in tough spots? And it was actually really good. Like, I was impressed. So went over and played in the Dominican Republic this offseason. They have a ton of guys over there that always go back and play. Was really good there. I think he's somebody to keep an eye on as a guy that, you know, in the not-too-distant future should be able to get a chance. I think he's, like, 25, 26 now. Um, Zach Short is another guy that I really like. He can play all three infield positions. They got him in the trade from camp with Cameron Maben, sending him to the Cubs. Um, I think he's like a really good, I think he could be a really good utility infielder on a winning team that, that helps you, that helps you win games. Yeah. So he's a guy that I think is one of those, he's not gonna be a star, but he's got some sneaky pop. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, Zach, I think, yeah, Zach Short and Drew Carlton are two guys you want to look at one on the pitching side and one on the, the hitting side to kind of keep your eyes on a little bit as we get into the minor league season. I loved your breakdown on Drew Carlton. I felt like I was talking to Jonah Hill in the bowels of the Oakland Coliseum, like t- talking about uh, all the Island of Misfit toys that they were recruiting in that movie. But a great breakdown. I don't know who the fuck Drew Carlton is. So I'm well, gonna, I'm there gonna, you go. Yeah, so that makes him a great yeah. answer for this. So we're done with the Tigers. Your best Mount Pleasant story. You're a Chippewa. I was a Chippewa uh. for a minute. I, this is putting you on the spot. It doesn't have to be even like your story. It can be something that you were you witness to or your best friend, or you can pretend that it was your friend. You have something crazy that happened in Mount Pleasant. Cause I, I mean, I could go all night on that, but you had to have had something, something crazy up at CMU. 
Um, how crazy can we get on the show? As crazy as you want. I mean, you can you can say fuck shit or whatever you want. I don't I don't get you in trouble. But no, no, you're not gonna offend my. I mean, audience. I don't know. I mean, I mean, they just I don't know. Twenty first birthday was a lot of fun. Um, you know, did some damage at the cabin. Um, if if you know my central people know where the cabin's at, oh, that yeah. was a lot of fun. I don't know. I think one of my favorite memories, actually, um, I guess maybe one of like the wildest memories was like when I was a senior in high school. So I was getting ready to go up there and went up there for the first time and met up with, you know, my neighbor who lived up there and, you know, had a lot of fun up there and, and got a chance to like experience like college life for like the first time. Like that was kind of the first time that I really got to experience it. Um, long story short, like I got really lost and was like walking around and didn't really know where I was at, like trying to figure out the roads and the streets and stuff like that. Cause he went off to a party and I was trying to find my way. You, you know how that goes. So I don't know. I, mean, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Sir. Yeah. So like that, you. that, that was kind of wild. I mean, I don't know. Like a lot of it is just, I mean, funny stuff that we would do. I mean, at the apartments, we'd, you know, we'd all hang out and, you know, we'd all drink at the apartments and hang out and stuff like that. And then there was a basketball court that was like, you know, in the complex that we would go to. We were, we were staying at Tallgrass and there was a basketball court right there. And we just, I know Tallgrass. We'd, we'd go and we'd play, you know, we'd you know, drink and go play basketball. And like, it was just like dumb stuff like that that I always found enjoyable. I mean, I don't know. Not too many crazy stories that I want to dive too deep into. I don't blame um, you. But it was just that kind of stuff, right? Like just getting to experience it for the first time was a blast. And then just hanging out with friends and playing, you know, I don't know, drunk basketball. Like, who, you know, who does that? But it's what college kids do. Like, it was fun, and it's, it's enjoyable. So. Mount Pleasant's a great place. When I was there, uh, 2006, it was Halloween 2006. If you oh, went boy. to Central or yeah. Michigan State, really any major school, like, <laughs> Halloween's awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, so it was Halloween 2006. And I, I'm not going to remember everybody's costume, but uh, I don't even remember what mine was, which just shows you how bad my memory is. But I do remember my buddies were, two of my buddies were the ambiguously gay duo from SNL. So if you're not familiar with that, it was like two gay superheroes with like really tight clothes and capes <laughs> and stuff. I had a friend that was Borat. The Borat movie had just come mm. out a couple months prior that summer. So and he had like the full mustache, the briefcase, the suit, everything. I had three friends that went as Oompa Loompas. So I and that was sort of my group. So I had a Borat, the ambiguously gay duo, and three Oompa Loompas in my group. And there was this brawl at this party. With this, we were at this house party. And it, it was them and us. And it gets to this point where my buddy, one of the three Oompa Loompas, is standing on top of a car outside trying to throw bottles at people. So you got an Oompa Loompa throwing clothes. You got Borat. Got, he's got this other guy pinned down. <laughs> this guy was dressed as like a unicorn or a horse or something. It was just punching, Borat punching horse. And my buddy ended up breaking his wrist. Shout out to Mike Fick. He's a big viewer of this show. I mean, he might he might call in and say I got some details wrong. You got the ambiguously d- gay duo. One is on the ground, got knocked out cold. The other guy's wailing on someone else. It, it was the most surreal scene. I did not throw a punch. I was actually trying to like break <laughs> fights up. But just imagine three Oompa Loompas, two uh, like skin tight clothes superheroes, like the, the gay duo fighting and, and Borat. It was just the craziest thing. And like at Central, that was like Maybe my seventh craziest story, but dude, you know, you had it good though, because after like right before I got there, I think it was maybe like, cause what I got there in what, 2017, I went, yeah, 2017 was my first year there. And like, I had been told that like, you know, 2014, 2015, like was, was a lot of fun, like welcome weekend and Halloween, like main street and different things like that. But I heard that like, you know, in terms of just like the police presence and making sure that everyone was staying safe, staying safe and like, insane. Flood the, yeah, yeah, like that's, yeah, that's how yeah, it was. Like, ben, Ben's a Chippewa, yeah. so, so that, a few years older That's 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 like the the vibe that I got and that I picked up right away. Like I remember the first 
like my my welcome weekend my freshman year like i met up the same buddy who was my neighbor from back home and when it w- went on to his place on main street and there was like you know six police officers on every corner just like watching what was going on Man. so it looked it, like it, ferguson 2014 the, it changed. i swear to god it's it's it was they were throwing smoke bombs a full line of cops uh covered main street it changed yeah yeah that was in my i mean i i you know Ben's between the two of us. I, I, you know, I was there again like 15 years ago, but it was, I mean, you got the occasional person getting an MIP, but like the cops were there, but they'd like walk right by you. Right. When I transferred to Michigan state, everyone that had kind of partied at both schools was like, you got to keep your head more on a swivel at Michigan state. It was a great like party school, but at central it was like, have at it. Bro. At the time like, yeah, you could do anything. Yeah. At the time pretty you could much, do anything. Pretty yeah. much. But yeah, I had some wild ones, but we won't get into the, the top five. That was like my six. Yeah. No, but, me neither. I don't want to, yeah. I, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. There are thousands of people watch this show, you know, so we don't want to get, get you in any trouble. So earlier in your career, you know, this is my hobby. This is your career. It's a difference. So let's move on. Last book you read. Last book I read. The last book you read. Not like, when was it? Like, do you remember the last book you read? It wasn't 10 years ago, was it? Uh, no, I don't know. Um, the last book that I read, I think it was the Harry Potter's actually. I reread those. Po- oh, yes. All right. Yes. All that right. was last, uh, last spring break before like the COVID and stuff like that. I got in, started to get into those, went through like the first three. Um, I read them when I was in like middle school and then I read them again when I was in high school and then didn't like touch a book in college really, if I didn't have to. Yeah, just and so then, no. And then, and I was like, well, you know, I know like the first what I think the first like two or three Harry Potter books are pretty like, you know, they're I guess I would consider them more like childish in the way that they're written in like the literature that's used. But like the ones like the later books in the series, I think like kind of turn up the tone a little bit, which I like because it's, it's interesting to me. And it's always good to just I don't know. I found it as a good escape. I love movies, too. So I'm a big movie guy, but it was more of, um, you know, just trying to find a way to do something different and kind of have that, you know, escape and stuff like that to read and just kind of dive into something different. I'm not, I'm not too big into reading just so you know, like I don't, I, I read like, I read the athletic, I read the free press. I read, you know, yeah, I, I read people's stuff like that. But in terms of books, like I've never been yeah, huge into books. It's, I, it's I hard like for books. me. I like books. You so do bad, bad question. by No, me no, that's a fair, but, qu- no, that's a fair question. You got a yeah. Harry Potter answer out of a 22 year old. That's, oh, that's, that's all right. That, that's I mean, I've, I've never read the Harry Potter books. So I'll duck under the table. Everyone <laughs> digitally throws things at me. It's, I always get like a, bizarre like like look at me like i have three heads reaction i just never got into them but anyway so you you're sitting across from president joe biden right now let's pretend you get to ask look at that smile just million dollar smile on that gentleman your one question to the president you could ask him anything i know mine but this is your round not mine i don't know if i can comment you can't comment i don't know yeah i don't i don't i don't i don't know i think this will be the first pass. How many how many times have we done the speed round? Kind of Thirty answer, times. What kind, of, what kind of answers do you get? Why well, I, I don't. I've never asked that question. Oh, but I, I don't I know. Get some answer. I don't know what I would ask Joe Biden. I think I'd ask him when COVID's going to be over and see what he says. Uh, that's fine. That's fair. It does have to be a good answer, but you can't pass. Nobody. No, passes. I I, I think passes. no. I I think I think I would. I think I would try to ask him a little bit more about some of the the COVID protocols and stuff like that. That's fair. That, that, that's where I would go. That was yeah. the route that I would take. Yeah. I would probably question some of it. And I would probably ask for clarification on some of it. And I'd probably, yeah, I'd just be curious. I'd be curious just yeah, to know a little bit more. That's fine. That's I, what I'm at. I would grab the nearest quarter and I would say, heads, I ask them about Area 51. Tails, I ask them about JFK. Oh, so, would, you're, oh, so you're talking about like we could get deep then and ask be like, real questions. Yeah, he has access to everything. Nothing's oh. classified from the president. Uh, you can be anything. You, your answer was fine too, but that, I'm just saying. Yeah, but that's, yeah, but everybody would, yeah, but that's. I want to know. I I don't know which one I would choose. That's why I'm bringing in the quarter. Because, look, 
No, JFK for sure. JFK was killed as a result of a conspiracy. But I would want that confirmation, but I absolutely believe that. But the aliens thing would be kind of cool, Yeah, too. that would be cool, too. I go back and forth on which one I would, like, if I were ever president or if I were, like, chief of staff, which will never happen. Neither of those things will happen. But, like, I always go back and forth which one I would ask. Okay. If I could only pick one. I thought we were talking, like, you know, more of just, like, something current that was going on it's that you want to know more about. Now. No, okay, that's fair. You can ask him what his okay. favorite ketchup okay. brand is. I don't care. That's this a good is, point. This is an open format. All right. Anyway. Bring me the next one. I'm ready I'm for like, you. I'm ready for you. Oh. The best sports media personality working today. We all know it's Colin Coward, but if you couldn't say Colin Coward, who's second place? Um, nobody's going to like this, but I'm going to do a combination between Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith. Okay. I hate Kellerman, love Stephen A. So, you know, half credit. All right. Well, I, I, I like, I, I just like it because I think it's good TV. Like, I think people, this is the thing that I, I think people are, you know, get upset because they just take like, you know, hot takes and just roll with it. Right. But I love that stuff. Like, that's interesting because as much as you might look at something that Stephen A says and be like, no, like, that makes no sense. Like, why are you saying that? Or the same thing with like a Kellerman, right? You might say, like, no, like, why are you taking that like stance? Like, there's no way you can actually think that. Right. I like it because I think it's different and it provides different perspectives. And so I love that. And, then, and, and they're entertaining when they do it. So it's like, it's yeah. good TV for me. It's almost like a comedy, but with sports in a way. At times. Right. It's the entire like format the of the fun. show right. too. I mean, that it's, you know, embrace right. debate is their whole philosophy. But people, but people don't like that though, because people say, Oh, you know, it's all scripted and you're just taking your, taking a side and taking some, you know, outlandish, you know, stance and then throwing it at this guy. He's got to throw it back. People don't like that. I really enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think, Skip, I think it's fun. Skip Bayless manufactures takes. I think Stephen A. I can't speak for Kellerman. I think Stephen A. believes everything he says. I mean, mm-hmm. he's obviously over the top. He's an entertainer. He's not just a straight right. straight man analyst. Right. But I think he actually believes what he says. You know, I, I like the debate stuff. I mean, like you happen to think Chris Ilch is the best owner in the planet and, and the best owner. I in the didn't League go baseball. that far, and I think he has some flaws. So it's like we have the debate, right? Know? Right. Yeah, you love him, and I have some uh, questions about where they're going. Right. Anyway, moving on. Your worst sports take ever. My Twitter handle is Darko State News as a self-imposed scarlet letter because I thought Darko Milicic would be not just good but a Hall of Famer. Really? Level. Yeah, that's why my account is Darko State News. It's like. I'm such I'm such a know-it-all big mouth asshole sometimes that I have to like check myself. So I I literally said I'm gonna call myself like Darko for my handle. And my my real name's like right above it, but my at is Darko State News because I wanted to. It's like a remind myself that as smart as I may think I am, I think I know it all. Don't we all? I blew like one of the worst stakes ever. I thought Darko would be great, and I was not alone. But, you know, I, I watched all those Hemo Farm tapes with, like, the 76,000 pixels on YouTube at the time, and I was just eating that shit up. I read the Will Robinson quote about him owning the game. The only thing that can ruin that guy is a woman. We're going to have to build a new arena. I slurped it up. It's I, Look, I've had some bad things that I've said subsequently. Nothing will ever top that, I don't think. If it does, I should probably stop talking. Everyone's got at least one thing that they just got wrong they blew it you say enough things you're gonna say something stupid what's yours your worst sports take ever even if you were 12 when you had it oh gosh I mean I don't know if I can go back I mean I, I just go back to college a lot because that's kind of where the, the journalism career started and that's kind of where like hot takes really started for me like I, I guess you know going I guess you could go back to you know old Detroit teams but at that point I mean I was just so young I was just I mean I was just infatuated by it all it wasn't like I was sitting there making hot takes left and right I, I don't know I mean I guess in college, at least, and I don't know if anybody follows Central Michigan, so I'll keep it short, but like Tony Poles, and they had this quarterback from Lansing that came in. He was, um, you know, like supposed to be the guy or whatever. And I, you know, kind of pegged him as like the future is like, you know, a guy that could be really good. And he was super tall, super big, but like 
they, they really loved him and I like bought into it all. And like, I was, you know, I was all in on this Tony Poljan movement. Um, and then you know, obviously like Shane Morris was there and Shane Morris came in and started the one year where Tony was behind him. And then I was like, Oh, Tony's going to take over. Like he's going to be the guy. And like, I, I hyped him up pretty good because I was really high on him. I thought he was going to be solid. And then he was just terrible and ended up moving to tight end. And it was just an absolute crap shoot. And the, you know, John Bonamago, who was the coach there that made that decision, got canned and they brought Jim McElwain in and he restructured everything. And I still like my buddies, like will go back and like look at my old stories and send it to me and be like, dude, like you're a dumbass. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> that's a good, it's a perfectly so good answer. That. That's no, that's, that's yeah. the best I got. I, I don't know if people know Tony Poljan or know central Michigan football a ton. Well, but that, I, I know that, but, but I, but I, but I missed, but I, not. but I missed big, like I, I wrote like a big profile on him, like being the future and like See all that kind guy. of stuff. And, um, you know, I'll still get texts like when football season comes around from like my buddies, that'll just, they have a picture of like the newspaper from the one day that it, the story came out and like. You know, they took a picture of it. I thought it was cool at the time, and now they just use it as, as freaking ammo and just come at me with it. So, well, we have a large Michigan and Michigan State <laughs> following. So, let, allow me to translate for those two audiences. Michigan State, he's talking about Andrew Maxwell. University of Michigan, he's talking about Tate Forcier. There's your translation. So, oh, I thought I thought Tate Forcier was going to be good when I was younger. I was could, so okay. high on him. Well, so so were they. So that's, that's that's yeah, why he's that's a perfect. An, that's another one too, I guess. Yeah. That I was. Yeah. They all got that wrong. And Michigan State, I was one of them. Thought that Maxwell would be great. I mean, he's you know super eight and all that. But yeah, we all blew that one. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we all have them, and that's the point. So we'll finish here. The last one on a baseball note, but a little less depressing than anything to do with the Detroit Tigers. Believe me, this topic could not have less to do with the Detroit Tigers, no matter what we tried. Who wins the World Series in 2021? Who's the champion in a few months? I don't like the idea of a repeat. I just don't see it happening. I understand why everyone's high on the Dodgers. I get it, right? And I, I totally get it. You added Trevor Bauer, too. Like, you're loaded. But I'm going to take a flyer, and this is, this is a pick that I, I put in the free press. So I feel like I have to kind of stand with it. I'm very back and forth on it, though, but I, the Chicago White Sox. I like their lineup. I like the power from their offense. I think their pitching is going to develop a lot. I really like Dallas Keuchel. I think he's really good. And I don't like Tony La Russa. I think if AJ Hinch is there, I almost lock them in to make it to the ALCS. Um, but he's not. And so I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But at the same time, I think they have a lot of talent. I think they have a lot of young talent. And I think there's an opportunity there when they get hot. When that, when that offense gets hot, like it, they're, they're, they're difficult to stop. Like it doesn't really matter who you throw at them. So that's why I got him. I got him winning the World Series. And I have to stand by that. I, again, like I said, I'm very back and forth. Um, if I was going to bet, I would not bet money on the White Sox. But I just think that they're, they're a team that could pull it off. And so they're kind of like my sleeper pick, but also my actual pick. Oh, their talents there. My, my concern would be Eloy Jimenez going out for the year. I, I mean, he may have been their best player this year. I mean, just, I, just superstar. I mean, it hurts him. It hurts him. That's like a him. six or seven war player this year, potentially, if he had his level. And at the low end, like that's four or five wins that they lose with that. And I think he can flip a playoff game or two. I mean, he's just, he's a stud. So I, it's not a bad pick. I no, mean, I mean, it's, it's, my, it's, my, but, it's, my, it's my sleeper pick. Yeah. It's, my, it's my big sleeper. That's all um, right. I mean, I guess, I don't know, to throw something out there a little bit more like convincing. I mean, yeah, like it's easy to just say, I mean, it's easy to say Dodgers or it's easy to say Yankees because that's what everybody says, right? Yeah. But I'm the asshole because I think it's the Yankees. Yankees but, you have yeah. Yankees Dodgers playing yeah. and, and the Yankees winning. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. That's, no, that, no, yeah. that's fair. Which I think, is, I mean, it couldn't be more. But I chalk, think that's what anybody but. with like a logical, you know, anybody that was looking at it on paper by the numbers would say, okay, yeah, like it's definitely going to be those two. So 
I don't wow. knock you for that at all. You, yeah, but you did great today, man. That was that was no, fantastic. it was fun. I kept you a little over an hour, so you don't you don't hate me. You're not gonna go tell Tony Paul. I don't know why you didn't warn me about this motherfucker and this guy's terrible. I'm never st- stepping foot in that Spartan basement again. Like you did okay. Dude, the right? setup is real down here, though. The setup I, is real. I do it to impress you. You know, like it was a mess before you got here, but I cleaned no, it. No, I think you need a show though, like solely dedicated to just like showing. Because I mean, look at what around. they're seeing. I mean, they're 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 only getting. A, a, a taste of it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, again, it's all to impress you. So as long as you're happy oh, with yeah. it and you're willing to come back. No, we have, to, we have to do it again. Okay. We have to do I'd it love again. to have you back. 100%. Look, everyone should follow you. And look, maybe this is me being an irresponsible host, but your Twitter at is literally just at your name, right? Yeah. At Evan Petzold. E-V-A-N-P-E-T-Z-O-L-D. Yeah. As easy as it gets. Go there. This guy, I'm telling you, I don't like anybody. I mean, I, I have spent the last three years trying to replace repair all the damage I did by saying exactly what I thought of most of the people in this town. I, I'm a rehabilitated man, but this guy, even the asshole 24 year old firebrand hair on fire version of me would have liked you because you're old school. You're just you stick to the facts. Here's what I'm hearing. Here's kind of both sides of the story. Here's why it might be a problem. Here's why it might be okay. And you did that here for almost an hour and a half. I think you're great at what you do. I think you're a natural. You're surprisingly a good speaker because not all good writers can do both. You did a great job today. I'm going to follow your career. I'm going to bug you about coming back because I love to have you. I'm in. You. I'm already in. You're, so I'm already in. You're great, man. Keep up the great work. Everyone should go check you out. Thank check you. you out in the free press. Uh, just a big fan of yours, and, and I said that before you ever came in. So we will thank the great and powerful Oz on the other side of the curtain. Ben, great job by you. Back-to-back nights. And you caught multiple typos in our prep sheet. So Ben is like my safety net. And although not literally, because if I fell on Ben, he would never be heard from again. I outweigh him by about 172 pounds. But he is my figurative safety net. Ben, great job by you as always. Uh, We got a lot coming. I mean, we did back-to-back shows this week. We're committed to at least one a week because we love you that much. But we did two this week. We got a couple on deck next week with uh, Michigan State folks. I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Sorry for those of you that were expecting Jeff Moss on my show last night. It was April 1st. I can't believe that many of you people fell for it, but, you know, call me an asshole. It is what it is. We love what we're doing. We love you. This audience continues to grow. I am grateful for that. I am grateful for my team, Dylan Smith, sitting at home doing God knows what on his iPad. I'm thankful to Eric Williamson, who does all the graphics and his underwear at home. This is a a great time to be working uh, remotely with COVID and all that. So love my team, love my guests, love our audience. We'll be back next week with a lot. Evan, thanks again. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. Here we'll have your show. See you next week.